the incomparable. Number 521. June 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we're going to be continuing our journey through all seven seasons of my favorite TV show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're up to season five, the final season on the WB, which aired from uh, late 2000 to mid-2001. And joining me on this journey are uh, some familiar voices and some new voices to talk about the uh, dramatic, the glory season of Buffy. <laughs> Steve Lutz is here. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jason. Glad to be here. I love what you've neglected to do with the place. Thank you. I'm just keeping it. I'm keeping it how it is. It's, you know, my home is my crypt. Uh, Quinn Rose is here. Hello. Hello. I'm Buffy's second secret sister. <laughs> uh, G. McDonald has always been here and we remember her. We really do. Hello. <laughs> Yes, that's interesting since I really started in season two of this journey. Hmm. So, but my apparently my powers are working and I'm glad to be here. I, yeah, I remember you from season one. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and way before that, Aline Sims is also here. Hello. I forgot to write down witty lines. Hello. That's uh, that it all works. There are lots of witty lines to be to be uh, mined here, but that you don't have to have one. And uh, first time his first time appearance on The Incomparable, Maddie Cox. Hi. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's uh, it's good to have you joining us for uh, for Buffy season five. So I'm just going to admit this up front. I, I am one of those people who kind of has had the party line since I originally watched Buffy that uh, season two is my favorite season. And I may be changing my opinion tonight to <laughs> season five. Wow. <gasps> wow. It, a lot of this it works for me. I think, I think being older and looking back, the themes of season five work for me even better. There's so much in here about Buffy growing up and being an adult. In fact, one of the notes that I, I wrote down while I was walking through the season again is, you know how they, you can cast somebody who's 22 to play 16 and dress them young and play them in high school and you can kind of get away with it. But most of those shows five years in now, now your, your actors are supposed to be 20, but they're actually more like in their mid to late twenties and it's a harder thing. And I was struck by how adult Buffy is in season five and the other characters too. It's one of those things where the the show has still has to pretend that they're 20, but that like the way Buffy dresses and her attitude, like this is a grow, this is a really grown up kind of season for her and the other characters. They're finding their place in the world. Last season was the going off to college season. And this season seems to be the forget all about college. <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> even if they're still in yeah, it. I really appreciate that. They're finally, uh, they're finally allowing Xander to take steps to being less of a dingus as well. Yes. Isn't that so, there's so much here like one of the things that i remember from the first time i watched it is how much i liked xander and then in the rewatch it's been like wow xander's really awful and this season for him (laughs) is very much like xander finally trying to be his own person and be a grown-up and not uh you know and get out of his parents basement and a lot of the characters do that like that is that is a real theme um on on lots of different levels obviously this is the season where buffy loses her mom 
And that's a that's a passage that a lot of us have gone through and that she has to be the grown up. She, Buffy also gains a sister who didn't exist before, yeah. which is quite a power move on the part of the writers to just make uh, like literally it's like, well, yes. But what if what if cousin Oliver was placed there by a bunch of Czechoslovakian monks? If only they could have used that excuse on the Brady Bunch, it would have worked so much better because he always did appear to be some some sort of demon or something. <laughs> sure. Exactly. Sorry, Robbie. Risk. Yeah. So it's. It's it's uh it, like Don. This is this. I call this a glory season. Glory is the big bad here. Claire Kramer, um, always dressed fabulously, um, and she's a god who is down on her luck and trying to go back to her hell dimension and take over. But so she's super scary. I actually f- thought that she um, you know, let's we'll get into the deals. I, I I feel like I feel like Glory is a better villain than I remember in that she seems. Uh, she, first off, she's there for the whole season almost which many big bads are not they come in the last half and they manage i feel like to keep her scary throughout i mean she's funny but at at every turn everybody seems to be legitimately terrified of her power like nobody really can figure out how to how to even hurt her um, and that's hard to do for like 22 episodes of a villain who is incredibly scary and threatening and yet at no point actually kills the cast because there would be no show <laughs> then for 22 episodes. They managed to, I think, I think glory, um, uh, works in a, in a interesting way that they managed to make her seem threatening without her actually sort of striking until the very end. Yeah. I don't know that she worked that well for me. I, <laughs> I, there were several, you know, fights with her and Buffy where it seemed like more of a stalemate than Buffy getting her butt kicked. And I've seen that before with other big bads and other demons and whatnot. And she eventually comes back and and, and prevails. But I mean, it, it never really seemed like she was so utterly powerful that they had no chance against her to me. And so it, it, that that part didn't really work for me. She was entertaining for sure. Mm. I, I like the I like the the personality that they've given her, but I, I never found her particularly concerning. Really. Well, I feel like they were striking a really difficult balance there because they needed you to believe that she was like the most dangerous creature that they had ever faced. And the characters really believe that. But there is a little bit of difficulty there because, I mean, she can't just kill all our cast. And so the, I definitely noticed there are it gets a, to be a little much. There are definitely some fights where I'm like, OK, if she really was this all powerful, like everyone would be dead by now. But I think that they do a good job in balancing her out with having her be Ben and having like this very unusual but like pretty effective balancing aspect where there's sort of a get out of jail free card with this sometimes where it's like well how can she possibly not have killed them all by now oh there's this other thing going on that we don't know about yet and that's what's weakening her slash that's what's like bringing her out of situations when she would have automatically won otherwise and that kind of thing i i do agree with somewhat with steve that there are some difficult balancing aspects here but overall i find her a very entertaining and very effective villain she's, she's like a reverse hulk almost right like you don't realize that she has a weaker form that she sometimes takes until later on she's certainly a big step up from adam from last season mm. I would yeah say that. adam was the worst yeah and they do hang a lantern on it at a few points where they'll be like funny you you know you never actually close the deal and they and but it's i think it's structured well where it's like she's trying to get information she needs to find out where the key is and so she doesn't want to just kill people right away because she's she's in information gathering mode and i i, I feel like it works but you know it, it is true like i said 
to have an all-powerful god walking the earth for 22 episodes without ever really making the final move. <laughs> She's super powerful and yet doesn't do anything for a very long time. And you're right. I agree that, that the fact that we spend the whole season with her as opposed to there being some you know weird twist where suddenly a new big bad gets introduced midway through like last season i think that works a lot better there there are still twists this season but they aren't really necessarily related to the big bad so i i think that's refreshing i i definitely loved looking at her every time she came on <laughs> i was like nice hair you know or nice dress and and i if you remember the first time, you know, when this season was on, finding her annoying. And I think it's more annoying to have to go every week, you know, like where very little happens and she achieves very little. But if you can just watch like 10 episodes in a day like me, then <laughs> no problem. Story moves right along. It does. It cracks me up that they have made her this like really materialistic god mm -hmm. you know it's like she's she's got her goal right and she's got her minions out there doing info gathering she needs more competent minions but that's another discussion. <laughs> oh man i love those the guys minions are sometimes competent and sometimes incompetent they crack me up but um they made her such like this superficial god it's hilarious to me in retrospect that buffy when she's trying to tell giles about her and describe her so they can figure out who she is she's like like cordelia and giles is like what she's, she dyes her hair and it's just like that's that's what you have to go on is that she's like cordelia in that she dyes her hair there's a great moment where some i forget who says you know you don't like her because she's she's prettier than you. And she's like, that is not true. And also, she's not. <laughs> right? And, and, and the other moment that I remembered from watching this the first time that I really love is she has a knockdown drag out with Buffy and Buffy ends up like jumping out a window. And it, it ends with her being really angry because she broke the heel off her shoe. And yeah. it's like, oh, it's like that. the worst, the unkindest cut of all. It's great. Oh, we should talk about Dawn. Dawn, uh, Michelle Trachtenberg as Buffy's younger sister, Dawn, uh, who has never been on the show before. And now everybody acts as if she's always been there, which I think is watching it back now, especially really carefully and brilliantly done where mm -hmm. the audience. So the audience knows, obviously, because the audience has been watching the show. And so the show plays into the audience expectations there. You know, she doesn't appear until the end of the first episode of the season. The second episode goes into some great detail of showing you that everybody remembers her. And only then does it really kind of get into the fact that, yes, there is an explanation and it kind of like parcels out the explanation of how she could be there. And then the characters slowly learn what the truth is about Dawn. And I, I, I was impressed with how carefully they structured it because, you know, we know all along, but we don't know why. And the characters don't know it all. And then to orchestrate that so that they all kind of figure it out and we see the flashback with the, the monks and we don't know what it means and, and we don't know why she's there. And on top of that, the other thing they do is they play with the question of, is she evil? And does she know mm -hmm. who she is? And she's just, she's, you know, living in their lives, but she's actually this evil thing. And that's a, a, a part that gets parceled out slowly till we get the real realization that she 
doesn't understand who she is either. She thinks she's Buffy's sister and has been all along too. Uh, I thought it was pretty effective. What did everybody think about about the you know normally this is TV poison, right? <laughs> Introducing another character into the mix this late in the game and saying that they were always there is like we're really asking for trouble. And I think they did a I think they did a good job. I think it's really well done, like all the aspects you were talking about and how you have to figure it out kind of bit by bit as the characters are figuring it out, not quite in step with them, but sort of in step with like what they're learning as well. I think that's all very like the intrigue of it is very well done. I have to say that so when I was sort of reflecting back on Buffy, I was thinking about how people think Dawn is really annoying. And I was like, Dawn is not that annoying and people are just mean. And then I started watching season five and I was like, oh, my God, this girl's annoying. <laughs> well, she's written so that every single thing she ever says yeah. destroys worlds. That's know? the thing is like, I think for the first couple episodes, they leaned way too far into her being the little sister who wants to tag along and like mm-hmm. all these things. That's like way too much. And then relatively quickly i think they calm down and like let her be her own character and like let her have her own life and also be dealing with like more serious things than her just being mad at buffy all the time and this kind of stuff where like once they kind of figure out where she came from and you get more context for who she is they like actually let her be a character instead of a character and then i'm like oh okay this is this is okay now i fall firmly on this side of dawn also because i actually am a big sister and i love my little sister very much and so even though um she's less annoying than dawn is uh i always feel like a lot of affinity for sister relationships in tv shows yeah the downside to um to watching like a one quick blast of a season and then going away for a year and a half and then watching the next season in a quick blast is that when that first episode ended and suddenly Dawn is there in her room, you know, my reaction was, oh, wait a minute. Did I forget that she had a little sister <laughs> that's been living with dad all this time and has moved in? And then the second episode is like all about Dawn. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did I forget something that happened at the end of last season? Like, did she wake up and have a sister or is this because they're they, they treat it like, you know, that this has been going on all along, mm-hmm. which turns out to be really great. I, I actually really like this subplot, whether Don is, is horribly annoying or not. You know, that that's that's a different story. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it once I realized that it wasn't me and, and the show was deliberately uh, doing this. Um, <laughs> the only thing that uh, the only thing that I found a little disappointing was when we got to 505, where they finally reveal you know, the, the story of what Dawn is, um, it was just getting good at that point when it was suggested that maybe she was some sort of evil demon Mm. and Buffy has to go and leave sick Joyce with her and she doesn't get back until late. And I was like, Oh, that's good. That's good suspense. But then, you know, by the end of that episode, we already know that she's not. So I I felt like they could have stretched that out a bit more, (laughs) but otherwise I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed the, the, uh, the reveal of that and the story of what she is, I think is good overall. It's a little bit tidy, but, but yeah, good stuff. I enjoy her. I also really love imagining the previous seasons with Dawn in them. Like at one point they, <laughs> they talk about Ted as reference. Yes. Yes. And, I heard and that. I keep thinking, how did that go in this version of events? <laughs> like, like did, did Buffy help, kill like robot man like what happened there and so then i start thinking about you know previous stories that we've seen and thinking about how they might be different with dawn involved and uh 
that's a lot of fun. And in a way, I'm sad that we don't actually get to experience that because she's a little chaos monkey, you know, <laughs> just like this little kid injecting, you know, little kid stuff running away. And she always says the worst possible thing. In yeah. Every yeah. She has no filter, no filter on this child. The one thing I missed was was the opportunity to do a flashback. To, to actually do flashbacks to things that happened in the show, except now Dawn is there, which oh, I would have wow. loved. That would have been fun. I would have loved that because it's like, wait, but I thought I saw this. But now there's Dawn is there now. That would have been great. So someone yeah. should just like, like poorly Photoshop her into different <laughs> scenes from earlier seasons. Get uh, yeah. you know, young photos of Michelle Trachtenberg and Photoshop her in. Like, sort of uh, Forrest Gump style showing yeah. up in the background yeah. or Z League or whatever. <laughs> I mean, a.k.a. Harriet the Spy, if you've never seen that movie, it's really good, a a movie uh, version of the great uh, kids novel, and Michelle Trachtenberg is, you know, definitely kid, kid, and she's super Hmm. good. I mean, I love that movie. I also wondered if the second episode of the season was like a reference to that, because it's all about her... Writing in her diary. Spying on her big sister, essentially, and writing in her diary, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Well, as as fans, you know, we were all like, "What is happening?" Week by like for a month, it's like, "What? Who? Mm-hmm. What?" It's probably best not to think too hard about the backstory, though, because mm. I, initially I was thinking, uh, "Okay, so you know, the, these monks kind of changed this small group of people's memories about this person's existence," but like apparently the dad knows too, yeah. so they Magic. actually changed the entirety of existence. Yeah. No, I mean, this is a show that's essentially, yes, it's essentially retconned its previous four seasons right. <laughs> by doing this, which is a bold, it's a bold move. It seems like monks with that kind of power wouldn't have too much trouble dealing with the one little god. Well, they had to put them. all of their energy into this one thing. It was their last move, nice. right? I think is the way. <laughs> Maddie, do you have thoughts about uh, Dawn? I mean, not many that haven't already been said, but when I first watched uh, the season, I was like 16 and I definitely hated Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just didn't like see a point to her at all. I'm also an only child, so maybe (laughs) maybe that's why I (laughs) took to her so negatively. But now watching it, like, I guess, wow, like 15 years later as an adult, it's definitely i'm more pro dawn so she's an interloper right i mean that's part of it is that as a, from a viewer's perspective it's like who who does she think she is getting in here with my scooby gang right that's that's part I mean, exactly we kind of have some of buffy's feelings of like look you're really annoying why are you part of this <laughs> like the, yeah. the audience is right there that's why i think it's such a brilliant move to do this because like they didn't this is not done out of desperation i feel like this is a real power move of like we're gonna add a character yeah. and say she was always there and we're gonna explain it and you're gonna like it that's how it's gonna work well i mean adding characters is not something new they do that every season sometimes two or three times but to say she was always there and she's a part of the core it's like what and i I really like uh, during uh the no place like home episode where buffy's in her trance and she can see the old version of the disused storage room that is now dawn's room and i think that's that's really effective and creepy because the suggestion is maybe that storage room is really what's there, but right. everybody else is seeing something else. And it's important, I mean, from a logistical standpoint, to take this from the kind of the overarching story of the season, I think it's really important to have Dawn there, given where they're going to take Joyce, which mm-hmm. um, is one of the big things that happens in this. And it's part of the growing up storyline here is that, you know, Buffy's mom 
uh, is sick and then she gets diagnosed with a brain tumor and she has surgery and she gets out of the surgery and feels better. And then, of course, at the end of uh, I Was Made to Love You, Buffy comes home to find her mom dead on the on the couch. And then we have the the body episode. And it it, if if Dawn wasn't there and it was just Buffy alone with her friends, I think it would not be as effective a thing as having seen them as a family unit and then having Buffy have to, again, grow up and take care of her little sister because her mom's not around anymore. So uh, the arrival of Dawn, I suspect the departure of Joyce and the arrival of Dawn were all part of the same plan that you needed to have all of this in order for it all to work together. Oh, yeah, because without the complication of Dawn, Joyce passing away is almost maybe like maybe makes Buffy's life a little easier, to be honest, because she doesn't have to juggle, you know, worrying about, uh, you know, keeping in with Joyce and, and, you know, bouncing back and forth between college and home. But now, you know, because because Dawn is there, suddenly there's a whole new set of responsibilities that she's in charge of. So, yeah, I think I think that works in combo very nicely. Also, Joyce is a much better mother with two daughters than just Buffy. Um, I'm very on the record as not liking Joyce in any way, shape or form. (laughs) And this season I'm like, okay, you're better now. They really (laughs) soften her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't forgive you for any of the crap you pulled in the previous, uh, previous seasons. You were terrible in a lot of ways. Like even if you were stressed, even if you didn't know how to handle things, you were an awful, awful, awful parent. And that <laughs> that is alleviated quite a bit by having Dawn in the mix. And I think that they that's one of the things that they handled really well is like, okay, so Joyce has someone besides Buffy to obsess over how does that affect her as a parent and how does it affect, you know, the the whole family dynamic. Uh it just it was really, really well done. I was I was sorry to see Joyce die and I was surprised to be mm. sorry to see Joyce die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think given Joyce's relationship with Buffy, the way the way the retcon makes sense is almost to have it be that Joyce seems to get along better with the little sister, right? Like it keeps her relationship with Buffy kind of the same while giving her this other dimension which is oh yeah but the the younger daughters they they get along fine i mean joyce was my least favorite character i'm pretty sure you know like regular character throughout <laughs> and this season i was like well she, maybe she's not that bad you know and i think you put your finger on it you know she's she's got another kid um to uh to obsess over and then uh then they killed her. <laughs> and then they killed her, because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I don't think we can, you know, any any of us can uh, overlook, like, that is one of the most devastating episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, the body is at the center of this season, right? Yes. Yeah. Even if you don't like Joyce. Uh, and I, by that time, I was like, she's okay. That has really well and beautifully done. I and thought. it still somehow took me by surprise. Like, I knew... I knew it was coming. I very vividly remembered this episode, but I had forgot even even though I remembered like okay, like I know that she goes and gets the surgery and they think she's better um and then she dies very suddenly. Even though I knew that was coming, I still lost track of it and didn't realize it was about to happen until what had already happened. So like mm-hmm. even as someone who has already seen the show, it still took the mm-hmm. wind out of me when Buffy walks in and sees her and it's just devastating. And the the they give each in that episode a moment to like 
process it and to react in some way and they really allow like a lot of space um for each character to kind of have that moment and a lot of them are incredibly devastating i think especially anya's speech about how she doesn't understand death Mm -hmm. it's like i'm never gonna forget that because it's they're doing the usual like oh anya's so annoying and she says ridiculous things and then she powers through and you realize no she's desperately upset because mortality is not something she's ever had to deal with and it is a beautiful speech it really is a, i think a highlight of yeah. anya on the whole show is that moment where and as as a viewer and i think as the other characters right there's this moment of well you know anya says the funny things and the, mm-hmm. the, and they brush her off a little bit and then you realize oh no she is devastated yeah she appears to be being unbelievably inappropriate as usual but she's right. really just trying to make sense of things which is which is nice it's nice to give her a moment also of note in this episode it's the first time that willow and tara are allowed to kiss on screen oh yeah yeah i've been very critical of this the, the dvd sets because they they always spoil things by putting pictures of you know secret things oh, in the <laughs> in the title card before you press play episode uh but the greatest thing that these dvds have ever done and it's it's probably just pure happenstance but they made the end of one of the discs at 5.15 and the beginning of the next one, 5.16, the body. Oh. And so I, I knew the body existed. And I don't know if anybody ever told me that Joyce dies in it, but I worked it out somewhere along the way. So I knew that was coming. I didn't know if it was this season. And when Joyce recovered, I was like, oh, OK, that's probably the body comes up in season six. So I was like, all right, fine. Mm. And then uh, so I happened to watch the end of the disc that has I was made to love to, to love you on it. And the moment when she when she turns the corner and Joyce is there with her eyes open, sprawled out, it was just a wonderful gut punch. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, oh, brilliantly calculated, by the way, at the very end of a wacky episode with lots of laughs. Yes. It's the robot Mm -hmm. girlfriend episode. Laughs and also Warren and Warren. And well, I mean, I, I love I love that episode for a lot of reasons. And it is it is savage in parts in a brilliant way. Um, It's it's really Jane Espenson at her best, I think. But but then you turn the corner. It's like we're with Buffy, right? We're like we're in this action adventure with weird robots and stuff. And she turns the corner and it is that gut punch. So I feel yeah. like putting mm-hmm. it in the episode. I always when I revisit, I think, oh, my God, to put that scene at the end of that episode it's such a tone shift that it's a gut punch for everybody mm-hmm. yeah it was nice to have that surprise because i i was definitely not expecting it to come at yeah. the yeah. tail end of an episode and not knowing that the body was next because the dvds just happened to have been cut up in that way mm-hmm. it was a great moment for me i there's a, there's a lot that uh you know when i run across things that were a big surprise and, and exciting for people watching the show when it came out that you know don't have the same impact for me but that definitely did and it was it was great and that episode you know the body again this is a joss whedon written and directed kind of showcase episode like hush was but the choices here you know it's all character essentially um there's no music mm-hmm. there's no score that's the most effective right. thing it's so quiet yeah it goes through the stages of grief there are moments of silence um there's lots of character dialogue cuz it's all about the characters and the moment of buffiness that does finally come at the end where dawn is looking at her mother's dead body and uh, silently a vampire rises in the background off of a slab in the morgue is so, handled so differently from your standard buffy episode that it's 
I always find it kind of brilliant and also jarring because it's like a reminder of what show you're actually watching and you've been watching this whole time. Because up to this point, it really has just been about the characters and about processing grief and or, or failing to process it and Buffy not understanding, like going through the motions at the beginning, too, of of like, what do you do next? She calls the 911 and she calls Giles and she isn't coherent to Giles and then the paramedics come and like and going kind of clinically through that part of it too I thought it was was brilliant because you know that's the stuff that often doesn't get ever covered in a TV show because it's not dramatic it's almost mundane right it's this it's the mundanity mm-hmm. of the fact that life goes on you just found your mother dead and yet you know nothing spectacular happens you just have to live through the moments that happen after that yeah and the emts just leave you there in the house yeah yeah, yeah. and the, the, the way that shot yeah, where you can't even know. see his face right like she's just not even yeah. looking at him when he's talking to her yeah. it does sort of seem like they should have closed her eyes at some point right. <laughs> yeah. that was those are the scenes <laughs> that, that are most disturbing for me is when they keep showing her staring off into space you know, mm. getting zipped up in the body bags like somebody please somebody close her eyes do that please i kept I imagining what it was like for her to record that right like mm. okay you're just gonna lay here we're gonna put really like gross dead makeup on you and your job is to be really still and that's what you do. Like that had to have been intense, very intense. Yeah. I guess she had to do that for like eight days, like oh, over geez. the course of eight Yikes. days. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Right. Josh said it in an interview somewhere. She's alive for at least a few scenes. By but... the way, this is probably your last episode. So, <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's also goodbye, right? I mean, well, I mean, it's Buffy, so she, she makes appearances. But but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's quite a thing. But I think I think thematically important in terms of Buffy having to then kind of take charge of Dawn and and feel like, you know, this is this is part of the growing up is is this moment where Buffy has to she's already got the weight of the world on here. And now she's got this, too. What was weird for me is that yeah. as this this episode, I you can't call it anything but a masterpiece because of the way it's structured, because the, the just the lack of the score in a, a show that's usually punctuated with this, you know, these dramatic stings in the music to indicate anything is going to happen um, is, is so striking. But at the same time, emotionally, it didn't work on me all that well. And I'm not sure why. I mean, there were, there are some great character moments, obviously, you know, there's, there's stuff that that's extremely sad in this episode, but that it's really the breakdown at the end of the next episode that got mm. me far more than this episode did. Mm. But uh, but in spite of that, I mean, it's it's clearly a masterpiece of an episode. It's just so well made. And I, I love, um, you know, the scene just after she's discovered the body and she goes out back and there's this zoom in on her and she's like covered in sweat and the coloring is made to be really off. So she looks really yellowy and weird. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's so yeah. many little moments like that in the episode. And the sound in that moment, by the way, is purposefully it's just like kids down the block street. playing and yeah. people talking right. in street noise and the whole point Normal is life. you ever everyone else's life continues on as if nothing has happened yeah. but your life just changed forever yeah but i mean it really gets across what it's like in that moment to not know what the hell you're supposed to do because you just walked in on your dead mom on the couch <laughs> you feel it as, as you it do is, you feel it i mean it definitely for me it captured that feeling of like my brain can't really compute, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, I, I'm gonna try to 
you know, make sure things happen the right way, but I don't know how much I can do. One of the things that I really love is that she she knows enough to call Giles. She's like, I, I'm going to call somebody. Yeah. And she knows enough to call Giles. I don't know. I, I always feel like, of course, it's going to be Giles. But what she says to him is so incoherent. Really? He's like, she's she's here on the couch or whatever it is. And and so when we see him five minutes later or whatever, he's convinced that Glory is in the house and is killing Buffy's family, mm-hmm. right? Because Buffy mm. has not been clear. And I always really like that moment. Like, <laughs> he doesn't understand what she's saying. He's coming, but he doesn't understand what's going on because she's incoherent. And that's then when she's, he's just, he's like, oh, let me check her pulse, et cetera. She's like, we're not supposed to move the body. Yeah. And that's the first time she says the word, the body. It, you know, it's a touchstone. It's like, she said it now. It's, it's a thing now for her. I mean, one of the things interesting about that episode starts out with, I guess it's a Christmas dinner um, with the gang. Yeah, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Yeah, I don't remember which. And everybody's talking about vomiting. <laughs> it's so, I was when it first started when that episode first started up. You know, this time I know what it's about, and I'm like waiting for it to go, and I'm like, really? They're just talking about vomiting now because mm. um, yeah, they ate too much. But then smash cut. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Buffy does the thing that, you know, you often see. It was, you know, after a shock like that, and she pukes as well. Right. Something that really threw me in this episode is they go to pick up Dawn at her school, and the teacher looks kind of a lot like uh, Christine Sutherland. Hmm. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking, is, is she seeing, like, her mom's ghost now, or what's going on? <laughs> so I was like, what's, what's happening? But that, that was really jarring, too, yeah. for me. Well, and that's, that's, that's a place where the, the episode really is very clever, also, in that we cut to Dawn, and we see her crying, and we think she's crying about her mother dying, and it turns out she's just crying right. about crappy Some high school totally things. Totally superficial school thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why this, this episode you know, is not as emotional for me as, as the next episode, because so much of this episode is just Buffy's in shock. Everybody's in shock. And I I think maybe, you know, I'm right there with them. It's like, I haven't really processed it yet. And when Buffy's finally allowed to break down at the end of, of forever, that's when, you know, it's like the the realization sets in. I think that's why the Anya scene works so well for me is because everybody else is trying to hold it together for themselves and for Buffy. And yeah. Anya can't hold it together. And so she's the she she's, know how. she's the person, she and Dawn, right, who really have, you know, huge, huge immediate impact and are not trying to be stoic and hold it together. And, and that's and that's powerful, too. Time for a brief break for our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you by Rhetoric Coffee again. I'm joined, as always, on this coffee ad by Erica Ensign, who drinks a lot of coffee. Hi, Erica. Welcome back to the ad. It's it's good to be here. I am honored to be a coffee elf. I, this is the first time we've done ad spots with continuity. It's very exciting. This is our third time <laughs> talking about coffee. Now, Rhetoric is from my neck of, the, neck of the woods. They're a subscription and farmer's market event coffee company from Berkeley and Oakland, California, the East Bay. And they're also commissioning original art directly from artists, which is cool. So every bag you get has a special life and is a unique work of art, which I think is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, your neck of the woods is a little different from mine. It is just becoming um, iced coffee season here. So mm-hmm. my my whole coffee routine is about to, to shift over, and I will be doing cold brew in the fridge overnight in my French press, and I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, it hasn't been quite warm enough to do that yet. Um, but yeah, coffee is great warm 
or cold. I recognize all those words, but I don't understand them. You know, if I go to <laughs> rhetoriccoffee.com, I see that they are uh, talking about complex, hand-roasted, mind-blowing coffee. That sounds pretty good. I mean, I think uh-huh. coffee is, is supposed to blow your mind to a certain degree, or it's not right. it, It's not good. First it wakes it up, and then it blows it. Now, Rhetoric Coffee is, uh, they care about the suppliers of their artwork and of their coffee. They go to great lengths. They're purchasing Farmgate coffee for their coffees, and they also uh, go to great lengths to assure fairness in how they pay and negotiate with their artists, which uh, we endorse as people who are involved in creative pastimes. Got to pay the artists. Artists don't work for free. Yes. They got to live. They got to eat. They got to drink coffee. Yeah, same thing with the farmers. It's all important. Yes, I don't know if the farmers, I, I'm pretty sure that the artists have got to drink coffee. The farmers may or may not drink coffee. Probably. Yeah, they probably taste the beans. The artists definitely do, though. That's what I'm saying. They definitely yeah. do. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> Every rhetoric coffee roast is done on the alluring smart roaster. Erica told me last time that roasting coffee is important. Uh, live and learn. It is. Uh, my grandpa's name is Loring, so this is a good sign. Okay, excellent. Well, mm-hmm. the smart roaster, energy efficient, environmentally sustainable, roasts better tasting coffee, and their commitment to quality is top notch. As we uh, as we said last time, most of the coffees they purchase score an 86 or above, and we decided that was a 100-point scale, so that's really good because... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that scale is, but maybe if you drink coffee, you do know that there's like a score for coffee. I don't, though, because I don't drink coffee. That's why my coffee off is here. I guess I mentally score my coffee oh, and then decide whether or not I'm going to like, you know, buy that brand uh, again. Um, so I would say an 86 sounds good to me. Okay. Sounds good. Now, if you are like Erica and start the day with coffee, it sounds to me doing these ads that Erica spends more than just the start of her day with coffee. <laughs> I'm suspicious now. It is true. Coffee may be present in other parts of your day as well. But check out the good work that the folks at Rhetoric Coffee are doing. Come on, from the East Bay, from my old stopping grounds in uh, in Berkeley. It's great. Go to rhetoriccoffee.com now, and you can get 50% off your first purchase. Use the code INCOMPARABLE at checkout. 50% off. What a deal. Go give them a try. Rhetoriccoffee.com. Erica, has this whole conversation made you just want to drink more coffee? Yeah, I'm probably going to go get some, actually. Thank you, Coffee Elf. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you to Rhetoric Coffee for supporting The Incomparable. We should talk about some other things in the season because I'm getting really sad about poor Joyce, who a lot of people didn't really even like, but it's still sad. Um, let, let's. I, I want to back up and talk about how this episode or how this season starts because I, I am fascinated by the idea that somebody said, you know, what if Buffy did meet Dracula and it had nothing to do with the overarching plot and it kind of is just going to be a standalone episode for our season premiere and only in the last scene will we reveal what the season is actually kind of about in with a little bit of a tidbit mm-hmm. and you end up with this just standalone episode that that I'm going to say it. I love it. I think it's hilarious and great. And I'm <laughs> sad that I do. And I think I, and I'm sad that Dracula never came back because I think he's actually pretty good. I just think he it's is funny. enjoyable. There's lots of jokes. And what what you know, who is Dracula and why does he have power and all of that? And I enjoyed it. But I also thought it was fascinating that wedged between the, you know, the vision quest at the end of season four and getting into the plot. They thought we're, we're going to have our premiere just be this kind of light romp. It with you know, and Xander's going to eat bugs, and yeah, it's a monster of the week up. Yeah, but it's Dracula, and he's. I different. thought it was kind of unremarkable. Hmm. Maybe just because I was expecting it to be a more typical first episode, where usually something you know more momentous happens, right? More momentous happens, and nope. in fact, I I felt like the first four episodes or so of this were like almost off. Like the the writing wasn't as snappy. I I didn't think there was that much to them. I mean, the the replacement where. 
There's two Xanders. Seems like it should be a really funny episode, but the writing is just kind of mad. Oh, in that one. man. I like that episode, too. I think they're trying to make it seem normal be- to let the Dawn thing sink in. But I, l- I think Buffy versus Dracula is good. And I think the replacement is is great because it takes Xander seriously in, for the first time and is also, I think, really funny. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that the line in Buffy versus Dracula, where, right at the beginning, where he says, I'm Dracula, and she goes, shut up, <laughs> is worth the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> She's so excited. And it's delightful because it's like, it's very much a return to some of the earlier seasons, like kind of romp, very monster of the week. Mm-hmm. And they, they sort of tie in the darker aspects. We have not even mentioned Riley's name yet, I've noticed. Good and right. Yeah. Um, because this is. <laughs> Also, he's just the worst in this season. What, what do yeah. we do? They don't know what to do with him because he was integral to the the plot of season four. And now they're left with him. And they're like, what do we do? Yeah, it's it, Riley. Oh, yeah. I, I don't hate the character, but they don't know what to do with him. Yeah, they're ostensibly setting up some like all of the weird things that are going to happen with Riley where they tried to give him like a dark side and oh, all the stuff that isn't so really misguided. worth the character. No, no, but I choose to pretend none of that ever happened. <laughs> so in that, so Dracula was just a monster of the week episode. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was enjoyable enough. It's just those first four just felt a little lackluster, like they were sort of hmm. going through the motions. And then fortunately, like the next three episodes are superb. Like there's a, a string there starting with No Place Like Home that I just thought were excellent when things really kind of started moving. For one thing, they set it up so it's like, oh, Dracula, he's going to be the big bad, you know? Right. Nope. Nope. Not a thing. Um, (laughs) I was actually pretty surprised because this is the first season of the show where I didn't feel like there were any truly bad episodes. You know, the first Mm -hmm. two seasons especially is is true for so many shows. You know, you're finding your groove. You're figuring out how the characters work and how they work together and like all of that stuff that's very common for TV. Um, but this season felt really solid to me throughout the entire thing. I mean, some some episodes really stand out, obviously, but I just feel like it's a solid season of Buffy. And I, as I was, I had an off by one week error um, because I thought we were recording a week from now. So oh, no. I was like, oh, I'll just watch two or three episodes. And then I looked at the episode list and the calendar and I was like, oh, I need to watch 12 episodes in one day. And um, <laughs> I had a moment where I was like, I kind of wish this were a 13 episode season. Like we have so, or as is our standard now, but as I was going through, I was like, you know what? I take it back. I like this 23, 24 episode season. I think it's great because I wasn't cringing throughout like, you know, I often do. Yeah, you know what? Now that you say that, even though I do think, you know, the early going is a little a little slow, um, you're right. I don't think there is a, a like a beer bad in this season. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely there, not. There's no hyena episode. Like, <laughs> it's solid. I mean, there are some that are a little, kind of dumb. You know, the, the troll god or whatever he is with his big hammer is kind of a ridiculous episode, but it's yeah, fun. But I like, it's fun. Yeah, I like it. It's fun and it's light and, and coming where it does in the sequence after some really down episodes, it's 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 well placed. So you're right. I mean, there's, there's nothing here that I cringe about. I will say the knights... I, not a the fan. Nights of Exposition. Oh, the, the, yeah. Nights of <laughs> the Nights of Exposition. <laughs> yep. I, I, I think I would agree that there are no like standout bad episodes, but there are the just the almost anything to do with those nights. I'm like, was this necessary? <laughs> it's it's like they felt they needed to compensate for 
glory and her minions not being enough of a threat so they add this additional threat which is like these are the supposed good guys but they're also against our group and i get it in theory most of the time in practice they just seem dumb and in the way Uh, but i would put i'd put riley again no bad episodes i I agree but but (laughs) riley's plot is similarly just stupid and uh, fortunately it doesn't bog down any particular episode as much as it's it gets spread out for a while and then he goes away and then it goes away. And then he goes <laughs> which away. Is the best episode. Yes. And I'm, I, I was like remembering like a line from my mother when I, you know, third breakup with some college boyfriend. She says, "If you get back together with him, I will croak." <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, if Riley comes back, I will. I, I mean, I've watched all of this. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. But I'm like, he should not come back. He comes. He, he's he's back in one episode with his wife, I think, in season seven. Sorry. Oh. Deep Brother. spoilers, but uh, no. otherwise we don't. Oh see. no, you've ruined that the, the denouement <laughs> of Riley, of Riley, and all of his. Yeah, my historical thing with season five has been. So this is where I I always very consistently watched the first four seasons, intending to watch the later three, and I always stop with season five and I forget season five. In fact, I was talking to my husband the other day and I was like, no, I've never seen any of these episodes. And then I'm going through going like, Oh yeah, no, I've seen this one. Mm. And it's because of that Riley component. It makes me so oh, yeah. angry. I'm at the demon bar getting vampires to suck oh, my, my blood. Gosh. Cause I'm edgy. Oh jeez, It's so bad. Yeah. It's so, so, so bad. And it makes me viscerally angry. And and it's the writers, right? It's the writers fault. They, they had no idea what to do with him. And so they like tried no. this construct, this arc for him. And it's just like, come on. We already told. We already know who this guy is, and this is it makes no sense. Yeah, it was weird. Well, there wasn't there wasn't much to him in the last season no. either. I mean, honestly, I I never no. caught into Riley at all. He was either super boyfriend, or he was the world's most self absorbed whiner. Yeah, and in neither <laughs> guys did he ever feel like a real human being. Steve, he's really pretty. He's oh like God. really pretty. <laughs> he is. All right, fair I enough. Can't, yeah. I can't I can't disagree with that. But yeah. I mean, his send off because of that. It, and for another reason as well was was kind of like well that happened mm-hmm. um, even though I mean it was yeah. an extraordinarily <laughs> cruel send off to have it be another one of these things where you know suddenly this guy who was like perfect guy is now the the most awful boyfriend in the world but I couldn't even be sad about it because it was so manipulative uh, yeah. the show just it seems to delight in subjecting these female characters that I love to the cruelest emotional torture at the hands of the men. And it, it seems like somebody involved with the show is working through some stuff, but at this point it's, <laughs> it's lost the ability to really surprise or even move me when these things happen, because I've seen it with Oz and Willow walking in on him naked with the other wolf, right? Um, you know, Cordelia <laughs> walking in on Willow and Xander, Xander, you know, the whole angel situation. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like they, they revel in in watching these people that I've grown to love, uh, you know, have the, the most awful experiences possible when it comes to relationships. And it's it's just become tired to me at this point. Well, and everyone's saying there's no bad episode of this season, but in big letters next to the episode Spiral, which is the one where oh. um, they all get into uh, Winnebago. Oh, Winnebago! And- <laughs> <laughs> try to run away from uh, the the nights of exposition, and I wrote worst episode of Buffy ever. Wow! <laughs> There's a scene where they're in that camper going down the highway, and the knights are chasing them on horses, mm-hmm. and I just think it's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing. <laughs> And there's really no no point 
to them leaving because Glory ends up getting Dawn anyway. So Yeah, and they, they really haven't demonstrated, as I said before, that she's that big of a threat yet either. So yeah, them leaving is is ridiculous. And I agree. This is this is a pretty dumb episode, but this is the kind of dumb that I find sort of entertaining. So it didn't yeah. bother me that much. Yeah, I agree. See, I, I like it because they, they did a lot of location shooting there is a chase with horses in a winnebago which i find ludicrous they buffy <laughs> fights a couple of knights of exposition that's their name now it's official on the top of the <laughs> of the winnebago they're such renfair rejects i mean they're comical it, it's just all of that mm. and then and then when they finally get away and they're like oh we got away and then giles sees the one horse and a spear is thrown through the windshield of the winnebago and hits giles and i'm like this is this is a crazy episode like so that's i, I agree it's silly and ridiculous but i enjoy a spiral because it's also um one of the things this season i feel like does really well is when you get to the last handful of episodes things get really grim like it's like wow they don't even have a plan they have no idea what they're going to do and and spiral and and then way to the world which is the one where buffy's basically catatonic like this is the 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 rock bottom that they hit so i i like spiral but i agree that it's it's ridiculous like they're at a desert gas station for a while yeah <laughs> torturing one of the knights and the, the general sorry the general of the Knights of Exposition. <laughs> the low point of the season for me was actually the next episode, which is the Buffy brain loop episode that came out of nowhere. It does feel like they're stalling at that point, doesn't it? I mean, I guess yeah. it's the calm before the storm, but it's... Mm. It's that and then the glory bend back and forth that goes on longer than even, I think, the fight in They Live that uh, takes like 40 minutes to complete. And it's that the whole episode just ends up feeling like filler, which is a, it's a bad time to have it right when you're supposed right. to be reaching your climax. I get what they're trying to do with this sort of like calm before the storm and the psychological thing and Willow. But I mean, honestly, the, also the fact that Willow is trying to kind of like mentally connect with Buffy and she sees like young, like child Buffy at a moment of like, are you doing the uh, Sarah Michelle Geller needs a week off episode for your penultimate episode of the season. <laughs> Is that what's happening here? It's weird. Yeah. It's it's weird. Well, and then ultimately, I think the gift ends up feeling a little rushed, and I feel like they could have used some of that time in the the previous episode to stretch it out a little bit. So, yeah, they had sort of like that establishing scene which is the first time that they foreshadow dawn's going to arrive is like when buffy is dreaming of faith and they're making the bed together i've read a lot about this show anyway but then i couldn't remember whether or not faith like was i was really hoping that she was going to like make a cameo in this scene as well and that she didn't and i was like well what are we even doing here <laughs> before we get to the end i want to walk through some other notable episodes and see if people have anything to say about it i'm going to defend the replacement again by the way steve i'm going to do it all right fair I, enough i i, I love the fact that this is an episode where Xander, I like they use the science fictional or fantasy component of him being split into two, like Captain Kirk in that Star Trek episode, which gets referenced by Xander in the episode, to point out, like, we follow, you know, real Xander, who is the who smells like garbage for most of the episode, <laughs> as he watches fake Xander, who is Xander, being successful at his job and confident and taking out the lease on the apartment and he wants Anya to move in with him and all of these things that are basically like growing up and being an adult that Xander has been afraid to do. And then right. having it be revealed like, no, he's you. You're both Xander. And having yeah. that moment of like, here is me holding on to being a, a kid, essentially, and me growing up. And they're literally right in front of each other. Plus, 
the joke where he where he's got the shiny thing that he's shining in people's faces and he's convinced that it's yes. it's like hypnotism <laughs> and he's like no it's like a, a nickel I found on the train track and I thought it was cool and one of my favorite lines in all of Buffy is oh yeah Washington's all smooshy and he might be Jefferson because <laughs> Xander's a dummy <laughs> anyway I like the replacement I think it's good the, I do like the interactions between the two Xanders at the end when they have sort of a mutual admiration mm-hmm. society thing going but that, this this felt like it should have been funnier than it was to me that's the only thing so Nicholas Brendan's an identical twin, so a lot of those shots are his his uh, double his, his oh, is twin. Oh, that true? Oh, yeah. really? Oh, I no interesting. Idea. I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of those shots where there are two Xanders, it's actually his twin. Yeah. Interesting. I thought they just did a really good job with the process shot on that one. Like a better than usual job. I think there's some of them are split screens, but there are a bunch of shots where normally it would be a reverse with a double where it's sort of not quite a reverse and you can see his face and it looks like Xander where it's actually Nicholas Brendan's twin, which is kind of fun. I also appreciate that Xander is now much more palatable to me. Right? And I think this episode is what they used as that turning point. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. no, you don't have to be foolish, quippy, misogynist man. You can be a confident man. And um, I appreciated that, like, that was a shot in the arm for him. And I didn't totally hate him this season, yep. <laughs> which was wonderful. That's progress. Although he very quickly turns into relationship guru. Xander, which <laughs> yeah, seems yeah, that. Well, you know, uh, for reasons, I <sighs> watched almost the entirety of season two of Buffy in between se- finishing season five and recording this episode. Huh. And one of the things I noted was, God, Xander spends a lot of time in this season sexually harassing his friends. Yep, yep. And then I like had to go back and like look at season five again to be like, he does get better. I'm not completely misremembering this, <laughs> nope. right? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, they do let him grow up. That's nice. Yeah. He gets better, but he doesn't get 100 percent. Like, oh, he, no, no, it's not a magic wand waved over him. I like the, the, him growing up like thematically. That's what this whole season, I think, is about. And that's his chance yeah. to do it. And and there's that later shot where he's ta- where he's um, repairing the broken window and he's talking about you can shim this and all of that. And, and then in the final episode, yeah. he's got his like wrecking ball that he uses. And it's all that like, oh, look. I am a useful human being now, right? It's yes. all part of the message. We, we didn't have to have some stupid episode where I become an army man briefly in order no. to be a construction <laughs> expert. But. There is a, there, he makes reference to military tactics at one point, and I thought, are you not going to mention that right. you were uh, a military a guy? Times. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that was a bit of a, a missed opportunity, I think. I, I did write down at the, for this episode that I, I like the speech from Riley at the end with the, this is the one, but she doesn't love me line at the end oh yeah at that mm-hmm. moment i thought there was a chance that maybe they were going to do right by riley and turn him into a real character but unfortunately mm-hmm. it was not to be no. that's a great moment and then buffy comes in and he immediately brightens up and it's like nothing ever happened but there's that moment that the, that they exchange the two of them and xander's like oh no <laughs> right like chill. like i think Z- and xander's been there but like yeah that's a that's a great moment in that episode too I want to ask about, uh, there are a bunch of episodes that this is threaded through, but we get a lot of Willow and Tara this season. Tara gets her first opportunity to be fridged. Um, she will be fridged again. Sorry, Steve. A little spoiler there where she gets her brain <laughs> sucked out and uh, is a num num for a couple of episodes until. Uh, a, a, but we do get a lot of Willow and Tara in this season which is is great. Tara's family comes and there's a whole episode where they reveal that the women in their family are demons and monsters when they become adults. And it turns out that, uh, uh, that it's not true, <laughs> which is uh, yeah. which is interesting. So any thoughts about Willow and Tara this season? I, I love them. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy their relationship a lot. And Willow does her her dark Willow thing when when she's trying to attack. She she brings out all the magic when after Terra has had her brain you know scrambled yes. by by glory. Yeah, her big black eyes just come out. There's a lot of few th- things in this season that are going to be more important in season six. Mm-hmm. Because it, man, it's it's it is really well set up as well. Like. Uh, Willow and Tara kind of have their first ever big fight and it's a bit about like Willow's relationship with magic um, as things keep building and building which I will have a lot to say about next season Um, but and then Tara gets attacked by Glory and instead of like actually resolving the fight they like there's just other things going on and uh, Willow finally gets Tara back and the fight is completely forgotten by this point of course and but I think it's I I noticed that they did that, that they didn't let the fight resolve. They just let something else happen instead of resolving it so it can come back later. And that I, well done, TV show. Yeah, the one <laughs> thing I didn't like about their arc this season was that fight seems to come completely out of nowhere. And there's there's never been any signs that they would get into that kind of a fight before. So it's it, it kind of comes out of nowhere for the, the for, for reasons of the plot. Well, but they never have fought. Like, that was their first big fight. Yeah, you know, so there's know. nothing to set up. It felt out of character, hmm. and it it was. It, I I like I like their relationship so much that it was like, ah, come on, you know, let's make the if you're going to make the relationship real now, you know, maybe set it up a little bit beforehand and, and show that there are maybe some occasional cracks, but you know, they're always like the perfect couple until they aren't, and yeah. so it bothered me a little bit, but. Ultimately, you know, in the end, I think their 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 relationship is probably one of the strongest things, you know, in terms of the, of the season. I just I just I love watching them together, and I think they're they're super cute together. <laughs> and I, I, I Amber Benson in particular, the the way she plays it. I mean, she she in the end, she's you know had her brain sucked out, and so she's twitchy for that reason. But just her mannerisms, even before that, you know, she's she's interesting to watch. I like, uh, she's, she's always a little bit twitchy. She always looks like, you know, there's all sorts of things running through her brain at yep. any given moment that she can't say or won't say. And I, I, she's intriguing. Her performance, I, I think, is really good. You know, we were talking about no bad episodes. And I, I kind of agree. But if there is a sag in this season for me, it's um, episodes uh, 8, 9, and 10. Um, I will quote from Wikipedia who describes the plot of Shadow, episode eight, as Buffy must keep her sister safe from glory and her magic snake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the snake man. But the one that really gets me is episode nine, Listening to Fear, which is probably my least favorite episode of the season. By the way, Buffy lives in a, in a universe, the Buffyverse. There are no alien worlds and there are no aliens, except for this episode where there is an alien. He's not a demon. He's an mm-hmm. alien. He came from space. Yeah. He's trying to eat people. It's like, okay. I think he's a space demon, technically, Jason. I, mm, I guess. Demon's got to live somewhere. Why not space? A demon from the moon or something. He was summoned. He was summoned, you know. He yeah. was a, a queller. Yeah, but he's also kind of like, but he came from space, which is weird for yeah. Buffy, and I don't understand it. And then episode 10 is the one that's the Riley's in the vampire brothel and... Uh, and, the, and then Scam. the hell at least though it does that is episode to that episode's credit riley is helicoptered out of the show in that episode so yeah <laughs> yep, yep. the one thing that i would say about that episode is that uh and about riley like is that xander gave me a new point of view in that episode on riley which was when buffy was complaining about him and to her friend and he said you know Riley has always been all in, you know, 
uh, to be there for you and to, you know, like he doesn't like flip flop and he, and I was like, well, that's true. You know, that's like what, I mean, it's Xander's speech that makes her try to catch the helicopter. And I thought it was interesting. Well, we have to be really sad about uh, him leaving right before they send him off so that it can be uh, dramatic. I've seen just how self-absorbed and awful he's been in the last nine episodes, though. So I'm not I'm going to leave my lying eyes on this one. (laughs) Sorry, Xander. You do give a good speech, but I've been here all along. And uh, (laughs) I do want to go back to uh, to the space creature, Uh which I think is is a really nice, grotesque creature design on him. Little bug man, little Mm -hmm. nasty, nasty bug man with his gross teeth. Uh, in contrast to the previous episode where the snake man just looks ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the, the worst things I've ever seen mm-hmm. on the show in terms of effects. It's bad, bad, bad. It's not good. Not good. But at least in that episode, you get the line where Slayer Musk is bitter and aggravating. Grr. <laughs> as he's sniffing her shirt. There's a lot of good lines from the, from the monsters that encounter Buffy this season where, where they've, got, they've got little jabs for her. It's enjoyable. And the, and the uh, you know, Jerry from ER is the troll god guy like I know. Olaf. Oh, that's, that's who that is. That's Jerry from ER. It's Abraham Ben Ruby? Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Olaf. I was like, Jerry. He's got a hammer. That'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> that episode's super dumb, but it was it was fun. It was perfect after the after the Riley episode. Yeah. Uh the episode I wanted to call out next was Checkpoint, um yep. which is mid mid season. This is the Watcher Council episode. It seems like every year or so the Watcher Council proves that they're a bunch of dicks uh showing up and <laughs> trying to take over and tell Giles what to do or fire Giles or whatever. And just when you think they're rid of them, they come back again to try to withhold information about Glory in order to get um in order to get Buffy and Giles to go through tests and things like that. And I love this episode even though the knights of exposition are in it. Now, I, the reason I love this episode is in the theme of growing up in season five, the end of this episode is so delightful where Buffy finally puts it together that she's the slayer. She's the only person who has her power on the entire planet. And they are jerking her around because she has the power and that she she gets this boost of self-confidence and she puts the watchers council in their place and there's that great moment where she's giving that speech and she says and you're going to rehire giles and he coughs out retroactive and she's like and you pay him retroactively (laughs) salary it's such just as having watched the show for the five seasons up to this point this is such a coming of age moment where the watchers council has always been these annoying people who are in charge and she's rebelling against them and in this episode she says I'm in charge. I'm not rebelling against you. I'm in charge because I'm the Slayer. And it's such a powerful moment. I love it. And yeah. immediately she calls their bluff, too, because it's immediately like uh, Quentin is like, uh, Giles, I saw you had some whiskey. Uh, maybe pour some of that. <laughs> it's like, they're done. Yeah. They're done. One of my favorite uh, lines is uh, the one from the council who says to Spike, oh, yeah, I did my dissertation about you. Oh, man. It's oh, so good. Yeah. yeah, she's great. He feels like a star there for a moment. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. That's yeah. I'm a sucker for a good snobs versus slob story. And uh, I, I wrote down early on in this one, oh, good, that the Council of Buttholes is in town to check Buffy's methods. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down, I already know how this is going to go, but it should be very satisfying. And indeed it was. It's, you know they're going to get their comeuppance, and, uh, and they did, and it was, it was lovely. 
and and lets Buffy like again so much of her story is coming into her own feeling confident about her position first she feels like she doesn't deserve it or doesn't even want the job and then she's kind of you know she's she has to navigate with Giles like she goes back at the beginning of this episode Giles is going to move or beginning of the season Giles is going to move back to England he feels like he's useless and he and she's like no I need you to train more than ever and that's a, that's a great moment where she's sort of taking over control of her life and here she's you know she's not even declaring her independence from the council of buttholes Um, that's their name now too (laughs) it's it's that she's saying she's got the power like she's not independent from them she's in charge of them now and it's just so she's come so far to be able to to finally say you know i'm i'm the slayer i'm in charge it's so great i love it I couldn't love it more. It's a great opportunity for for her to be badass Buffy when she walks in and sets down the hammer on this, <laughs> this bloody sword on the top of the book that the guy's looking at. And it's 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 a good moment. Oh, it's so good. Let's see what other episodes are here. I, I want to mention I was made to love you. If you have other episodes mm. that I skip over, we, we can go back to them, too. I was made to love you. I, I mentioned earlier it ends with with finding Joyce's body. But I... I also love this episode and I think it's I think it's really funny and very clever um, because Warren. Okay, so Warren's in it. Warren will come back in future seasons. He is he makes he makes the perfect girl. She's a robot. And then the and she does everything he wants. And and her entire world revolves around him. And he immediately finds her boring and leaves her like all of the details of this episode are so are so brilliant. He's like super dismissive and abusive to his girlfriend who he supposedly loves katrina his human girlfriend his human girlfriend <laughs> yeah. who almost gets and almost gets her killed she gets like ribs cracked and hands broken and stuff i thought they did kill her actually at one point in the episode oh, i was like oh my yeah. god it they seems went like there. they killed her but then she's like oh but she's okay yeah i thought that she was dead yeah but then she gets yeah. up and, and tells him off it does feel like I, I have a moment where i feel like in an earlier draft she's dead right yeah i mean she's like pale and ashen in yeah that scene, so. and being held up by robot <laughs> robot girl right yeah which yeah. is a great image because you suspect that maybe that's been the position that they've been in for like 15 20 minutes you know yeah <laughs> it makes it extra creepy just holding up the the dead body and and the jokes this is another jane espenson script uh, it's really funny uh the moment where where there's like the mystery where it's like so i don't know is this strange i'm thinking she's a robot and everybody's like yeah totally a robot totally a robot like it's not a mystery at all <laughs> everybody knows immediately that she's a robot there's the reference to ted yeah. and then and then the payoff yes. is that warren d- gets to do his dramatic reveal of like no 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 you don't understand she's a robot and the music plays and buffy's like yeah uh-huh yeah got it <laughs> Love it. Well, that was just capping off a lot of Warren awfulness. I mean, oh yeah, it's a funny episode, but his, I mean, obviously, you know, he comes back and we know if we've watched this, you know, like he does not reform as yeah. a, a complete misogynist, horrible person and boyfriend. It's, it's hard to watch. Like, it's hard to watch him talk about the robot and about his girlfriend. And Buffy is there to say, what the hell? Yeah dude who i don't know yet well that's what i love about it is it is it is just a great piece of satire and he yes he's awful right he's awful he's made the perfect girl and doesn't even want her and then just discards her right leaves her like buffy has always been about the metaphors especially relationship metaphors metaphors about how how boys treat girls and men treat women and this is another little piece of that which is how warren treats his robot girl like he 
completely mistreats her even though she does everything he wants and he made her to do that and then he doesn't he's not interested in her yeah one of the uh big either best or worst things to come out of this episode is the uh buffy bot buffy bot right (laughs) oh that that gets played out right because so this episode ends before buffy finds joyce's body the last joke before that is like spike goes to warren's house and says you're gonna make me a, a buffy and then the buffy bot comes back later and is super gross and and that that there's some interesting things in that episode and then she gets deployed against glory in the finale which is also fun yeah Yeah. it's the whole episode where spike has the buffy bot is just disgusting and was very hard to watch honestly (laughs) Uh like Mm -hmm. yeah but, but the payoff of having the buffy bot in the last episode was very well done so i like how disgusted everybody is about the buffy bot and I like how Sarah Michelle Geller has to play that part and have her be, you know, pl- kind of plausibly a robot, but plausibly Buffy-ish and having people not understand her. I think that's all. I enjoy that episode, too, because yeah, it's, I so, like that one a lot. it's so ridiculous and, and it is super gross, but it's also ridiculous. It's gross, but it's Spike. I mean, come it's on, Spike. it's Spike. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And But the end where Spike gets you know, almost killed by glory and beaten up and Buffy goes as the Buffy bot to, cause yeah. he needs to find out if he sold out Dawn and it reveals that he, he was going to let her kill him before he'd sell out Dawn and she kisses him. And then he realizes it's not the Buffy bot. Like not only is that planting the seed of like, maybe there is something between Buffy and Spike, but like the, also just the fundamental humanity of that moment of like, as gross as you've been in this entire episode, you did the right thing. Right. And later on, that pays off in the in the gift where he says, you know, I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. Yeah. I also yeah. really enjoy watching Sarah Michelle Gellar play Buffy playing the robot that she played. <laughs> yeah. Like that whole, because she, she walks in and you, like you can tell that it's not really the robot. Like it doesn't move quite the same way. It doesn't act quite the same. You know, she's not quite smiling enough, but it's more than typical Buffy. You know, it's just, she did such an incredibly good job with that. It does beg her belief a little that they didn't figure it out a little quicker coming fairly yeah. close yep. on the heels of, uh, but then, you know, Joyce oh. died in between there. So that probably jarred him. No, but the that. friends, yeah, they're, they're kind of dumb, right? They're like, well, that's oh, true. It's Buffy, but how, how do you expect her to be replaced by an identical robot though? So you're like, oh, well, she's acting a little weird and they do get concerned, right? It's like, Buffy, this seems a little weird. You're acting a little strange, but, but they all know she's supposed to be out of town. That moment so. where she's trying to, <laughs> she's trying to put her arms around Spike and like lovingly look at Spike and Spike's like, oh, hey, uh, and he's trying to push her away. Cause it's like, it's going to, the jig is going to be up if you, uh, that's just, it makes me laugh. Spike, yeah. you know, we get Spike throughout the season, right? Spike is around and he's, he's comic relief, but he also wants to help. And in the end, he, you know, he, he, we end up having him basically bond with Dawn and be Dawn's protector, which is, I think, a good use. I think that's good use of Spike this season. I was fairly certain with them starting to make him sympathetic that they were going to kill him off sometime during this season, which would have been a <laughs> crucial error because he is my favorite part of this season and pretty much every episode that he's in. I just love him to death. In fact, I wanted to go back to uh, episode seven, Fool for Love, where we finally get the Spike backstory yeah. episode. Where, where we learn, who could have guessed that before Spike was a vampire, he was Kevin Klein. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a shock. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a right. fun uh, backstory episode for him. 
Um, I like the ending. I like him cottoning on to, to Buffy and, and sort of gradually becoming a better person. Although it goes against pretty much everything we know about vampires that's been built mm-hmm. up in the last five seasons. You know, th- no soul, they're going to do evil things. Uh, and we saw it with Angel. He, he lost his soul again and he immediately turned awful and all of the love that he had for Buffy was out the window. So it makes no sense, but I like a it. A chip is as good as a soul, apparently. So. That could be. <laughs> I really like, especially I think the episodes in between Spike realizing that he has feelings for Buffy and telling Buffy his feelings are, I think are top form Spike because he has no idea how to act um which is a lot a lot of good comedy and i also i do i just find this fascinating the way that they they have this sort of um back and forth between i think like two different models of vampires that they have in the show where they have angel where it's like a switch turns on and off and he's evil or he's not and then you have spike who's like much more three-dimensional as a vampire and you see like he's much more human as a vampire um, and I do think that that does happen, I think, realistically enough, gradually over time with different stuff going on. But I also think um, and as the show continues, I think they grapple with this more is like, how can he be more human, even though he doesn't have a soul and he's fundamentally the soulless monster um, and asks like those kinds of questions. I enjoyed his his uh, travelogue of him killing the previous two slayers. And it was nice to finally get an origin story for the jacket, too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple other right around this time that I wanted to talk about. Sure. Um, episode five, No Place Like Home, uh, which I like for two reasons. Partially because I like the the dynamic here where we think Dawn may be evil mm-hmm. and then we, we get what her backstory is and it's it's satisfying. I was I was quite surprised at, at how much I enjoyed her origin story. Um, but mainly because in the opening, when Giles is standing there in the magic box in his wizard costume, oh my smiling God. wanly in <laughs> silence until he finally puts the hat down <laughs> is the funniest thing I've seen in any episode of Buffy ever. Oh. I laughed and laughed. Because she just looks at him and he just stands there and he's like, all right. He's, he has that same smile on his face the whole time, oh. even when he realizes how ridiculous he looks and he takes the hat off. It's it's so great. And then when Willow and Tara come in, they're like, Giles, where's the uh, wizard outfit? Where's the hat? <laughs> where's the wizard hat? Yeah. And then the other the other one that I wanted to drop in on was was uh, episode six, Family, which I enjoyed, which is the Tara's family episode, Tara's awful family. Right. Yes, sometimes there's a genetic anomaly and a totally normal family gives birth to a son who's Southern for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like this. I just I, I always enjoy the episodes where like the, at the end, it's like, you know, you think that they're going to kick her to the curb. But no, she's one of us. Yeah, she's one of us. And and it harkens back to that episode where all of the, the students at the end of the uh, the mayor season, you know, acknowledge that Buffy's been they, they've they've accepted her all along, you know, and it's just it's warm feelings. And it's nice to get to to get a little more backstory on Tara, too, because I do enjoy her a lot. Yeah, it's a beautiful chosen family moment and also guest starring Amy Adams for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wrote down, oh, Amy Adams, neat. <laughs> that was the last thing I had to say about her. She does appear in Strange Places from earlier in her career. Does. All right, we should talk about The Gift. Last episode. It is episode 100 of Buffy and the fifth season finale and the last episode that was on the WB because the last two seasons were they moved to UPN. Uh, and then they merged those networks together to form the CW. So it, I guess in hindsight, it's not that big a deal. But this is the big final episode uh, of the season. Um and in it, you know, it all comes to a head, but in some surprising ways, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of fighting, there's a ritual, um, 
Glory is successfully prevented from creating the ritual that is going to open the portal so that she can uh, go back to whatever dimension she wants to go in by using the key. Uh, but at uh, at a great cost, um, Giles ends up, uh, after Buffy softens her up with the troll hammer and a bunch of willow <laughs> magic, um, uh, he uh, she reverts to Ben, at which point... Buffy leaves her there and Giles appears in a uh, moment that uh, Tara actually points at him earlier in the episode and says, you're a killer. Um, and he, mm-hmm. he kills, he kills Ben by putting one hand over his face, his m- mouth and nose <laughs> to suffocate him, which I thought was, yes. uh, there's a knife right there, but like gentle, the gentle murder. The the eyeglasses, like the way he pulled them out as he was talking, like, so matter of fact, like, it was a little chilling. I yeah. mean, but G- as Giles said, he's the one who can kill. Yeah, I do enjoy that bit. It's a, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. Well, that's not my dog. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's interesting because they're all talking about how they couldn't possibly kill another human, you know, earlier in that episode when they're sitting around the table trying to figure out what they, what they can do. And it's, it's fun to see that Giles is the one that has, you know, the old Ripper finally mm-hmm. has the gumption to, to actually do it. And it's a little, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a sour note because you're like, you kind of don't want him to do it. You understand why he has to, but it's like, oh man. It's the only solution, right? Yeah. But it's like, no, Giles, you're killing a human, but you kind of got to. So, But I also feel like they set it up so that even though I don't think the characters know this at this point, like Ben does go to the dark side and does betray Dawn. So I feel like they set that up so that we as viewers can be like, yeah, like obviously we don't want Giles to kill a human being, but I'm always the person sitting there watching the movie being like, no, just kill them. Just shoot them. They're going right to kill now. you. So I was like, yeah, go for it, Giles. Ben, in the last part of the season, Ben and Glory get kind of muddled up a little bit, and Ben is no longer that kind of innocent guy he was earlier, which makes it easier. It, 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 you know, right. it would have been a more brutal thing if he's like, why am I here? I don't really understand. And Giles was like, shh, it'll be okay. And then kills him, right? Like, that'd be a little... I mean, that would have been really interesting. Well, it's a horribly tragic story, really. I mean, he's... it, it As an infant, you know, he's occupied by glory, and he spends his whole life, you know, having his life destroyed by her whims. So it, it's good that they do that bit at the end where, where you know, he decides he's going to turn in Dawn. You always sort of think maybe he's going to turn around and do something else and save her at the end, but... But also... Uh, earlier in the season, Ben summons an, an alien to kill a bunch of people. That's true. Like, the show brushes right over that, and it never returns to that, but Ben fully murders a bunch of people in the middle of the season when he's still ostensibly a good human. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. Um among the callbacks in this episode to the Dagon Sphere, which is the glowy orb that gets found early on, comes back because that was like they got that and they got the troll hammer and like they, they're putting together all the pieces in order to try and fight Glory because they know that this is going to be difficult. And, and they're really just fl- fighting to delay her so that she can be uh, prevented from doing the ritual, not to defeat her even. They're not even trying that, although they do end up getting that. There's the reveal of the the... Glory is fighting the robot Buffy until she knocks her head off. Um, and then the real Buffy shows up, which is great. And she's got the hammer. There's a lot of tower shenanigans because the ritual is going to take place at the top of the tower. So they go up the tower, they fall off the tower, they go back up the tower. Um, and so lots of fighting and, and magic. And Xander has the wrecking ball and, and, and Anya gets hit by by like debris and everybody's kind of wounded and but they're all still fighting um but it's joel gray of all people 
who is up at the top of the tower. <laughs> Doc, Joel Gray, who's been in like two other episodes as this kind of evil guy, and he wants it to proceed. So even though Glory never gets up there, Doc cuts open Dawn. Uh, her blood falls down at the appointed moment into the uh, the portal opening it and bringing you know bringing a hell portal to sunnydale and like a dragon flies out and there's lightning and you know as you do the stuff that happens when you open a portal to hell which leads us to that moment which is that we've been led up to since actually the last episode of season four with the with the the first slayer and that this whole episode or this whole season's been leading to which is um dawn was made out of buffy she's from summer's blood uh the blood has to stop means someone has to die to close the portal and the in a vision the first slayer says that death is buffy's gift and how could that be a gift and this is the moment where it seems perfectly obvious that the new character we got in the first episode of the season dawn is the expendable character and she will sacrifice herself to save the universe and it won't be sad but she was really the key and not really a person after all and we'll all go back to normal and instead, what happens is Buffy realizes that she needs to save her sister and sacrifices herself and dies. And Buffy's dead at the end. And that's the end of the season, which let me tell you, in the moment when it first aired was kind of mind blowing. And I still am kind of um, blown away by the decision to do this and how momentous it feels. And there are two more seasons of the show. So, Steve, again, spoilers. She comes back. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's all Robot Buffy from now on. <laughs> but I have heard many people argue, and I have been among them, that this would have been an amazing last episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Episode 100, she sacrifices herself for the greater good. She dies the end. She saved the world a lot, it says on her tombstone. So how do everybody feel about this <laughs> final moment and about Buffy sacrificing herself for, for Dawn and the world? I, uh, I got to admit, I started laughing. <laughs> It's so overly melodramatic. Boo. Boo. How dare you? Boo. You see, it's so melodramatic, especially with that last zoom in. The final shot is just to zoom in on a tombstone with a with a maudlin inscription on it. It's a fun, it's a funny tombstone. She saved the world a lot. It's great. Oh, I love that's it. Yeah, that's from her uh, high school. It's so over the top melodramatic. I just started laughing to myself. Oh. It, it, it wasn't even sad. Uh, cut, cut his mic off and let's... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, the first time you see it, it is like, yeah, I don't know. It just... This time, I have to say, overall, the whole season felt very coherent. And that final moment felt much more coherent to me than I, uh, you know, remember it as. And I like the season better overall. But like, yeah, Buffy realizes... She wants, she needs to do this. You know, she's had this uh, prophecy and that she, she's already completely freaking tired of being the vampire slayer. So why not go out on a high? They don't usually last this long anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she wants a little, a little peace, I think. And she, and, and to protect her sister. Yeah. Just the amount that this ending, which I think would have been a very good series finale, um, pays off throughout the whole show just like because i feel like there's a very consistent theme that buffy talks about over and over again of how much she doesn't want to be the slayer anymore like this has been happening since the like the first episode of the show and it changes from her being sort of a whining teenager to her being an exhausted adult who can't deal with it anymore and so having this ultimate sacrifice for the world but more immediately and more importantly for her sister i think is is a very fitting payoff to like her arc as a character 
the way they set up like death is your gift a few episodes earlier and you don't really know what that means and then having this sort of conclusion of of her death is her gift to dawn um is beautiful with the ending speech and i don't care if it's melodramatic steve i think it's very well earned it's also her gift to herself i mean if, if we i follow your argument yeah. a little bit which i do which is the slayers don't usually last this long it's a it's a real burden for her to carry and she gets to make this thing that saves her friends and saves the world and saves her sister and you know it is the hero's journey and all the slayers as we've seen like spike showed us like the slayers don't last very long it's a tough job and so in this moment it's it's the it's the ending for her too she gets to do her job one last time and then it's over and she gets to do it on her terms too it's not you know it's not the previous iterations of the slayer that she's seen it's what she chooses she's not the victim she's just the hero yeah, she gets to give a goodbye speech and everything. If this Indeed. were the final episode of the series, though, I'm fairly certain they would have had more to the ending than we see her body, we see everybody start to cry, and then we smash cut to a tombstone Probably. and zoom in on it, and that's the end. I feel like the, 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 the reason that it didn't work for me is just because of that. It's like, oh, she's dead, and here's her tombstone. Goodbye, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, and the truth is, everybody knew at this point that that you know, please join us for season six in the fall. It was not a question. This was not a fake out. This is everybody knew it was coming back. But I think em- right. emotionally in the moment, I like the fact that it is played straight up as no, she's sacrificing herself. And although this is a supernatural show, and you know, her dying is obviously not going to stick. Um, from her perspective, you know, in the world, she's willing to sacrifice herself and die, and she does die. And for her to come back in season six is going to take some i don't know magic or something do they have that in the show Mm. i think they do i wonder if they could resurrect somebody with magic Mm. and with well and see that's the thing and with joyce they established that resurrecting like necromancy is not not a good thing it's you know necromancy kind of sounds gross and it is gross and you shouldn't do it (laughs) and so they have all of this like it's established that you don't mess with the dead so you have this question of what does happen going forward? Right. Um, was it a fake out? Is that a fake grave? Is it, you know, like what happens? You don't really know. How broken is the Buffy bot's head? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it does make you wonder, though. I mean, there's still summer's blood dripping out of dawn. So it kind of seems like they should probably have both had to go before the portal would close. Don't look at the, that closely, Steve. Steve. No, it's fine. All right. I'm just saying, it, it, the setup was nice. It's just one of them. One of the blood has to stop. So I guess the electrocution of Buffy yeah. in the portal counts as her blood stopping. I don't know. Mm. The setup was nice. I, I actually like the the whole gift thing and, and the speech to Dawn was was a nice tearjerker. I just felt like the execution was a little off for me. <laughs> and and it was it was just so sudden with that zoom in on the tombstone. I was just like, oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I just started laughing. You're a terrible what person. What can you do? You know, it's it okay. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, I think I got more enjoyment out of it because I was laughing at the end. All right. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, Spike is crying there, you know. And, sobbing. Uh, he, yeah. Nobody is laughing. Sobbing. Yeah, that was what I remembered from the... When I saw it when it was originally aired was Spike's... Uh, yeah. Spike's pain. But, uh, you know, I have to admit that this season... I mean, I've always said like, "Oh, I'm Team Spike," uh, but I think I'm I'm not on a team anymore mm. <laughs> uh, because he. I mean, he he definitely he he redeems himself towards the end, but boy, is he you know 
toxic. Uh, and I was like, how can I be on this guy's team when he's saying like, you know, love me or I'm going to kill you. Like, that's like, that's pure headline stalker material. Mm-hmm. So He's evil, all right. Except, yep. you know, sentimental. <laughs> I do like how he saves the day in family by punching Amber Bunch Benson in the face. <laughs> that is a very spike really moment. That was really good. Yeah, that was very funny. Although yeah. I did wonder at that, you know, is, is she really actually a demon and he's just faking it? Because he could be. That would be a very Spike thing to do. Yep. I think I think the truth is Spike is a vampire and so he's bad, but he's also super sentimental for the people that he's formed an attachment to and and so Buffy and Dawn both end up being kind of you know again I don't know I, I'm trying to explain it you're right it's not entirely consistent but that's at least how I kind of yeah. headcanon it is that you know Spike is is bad but he's never he's never been as bad as many other vampires because he's kind of soft and he's got a he's got a soft spot for the Summers girls yeah. And it, it's so nice how that, I, I mean, nice, how it ties into his backstory about like the whole reason he becomes a vampire is because he's, his feelings are hurt uh-huh. after he's, you <laughs> yep. know, this unrequited love and he's writing really, truly horrible poetry. It's bloody awful. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you see him later and it's like. Yeah, that actually, like, his behavior kind of tracks. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I think, also easy for me in headcanon world to... Um, to excuse the inconsistencies because he's he's a vampire and vampires gonna do weird things. Yeah. That's just what they do. And you he's know? so much like, fun, so it's easy to be yeah, like, yeah, it's fine. Absolutely. It's Spike. It's fun. Yeah. Spike is fun. Yeah. I really, really love the moment when he comes with a bouquet for Joyce. And he's on yeah. the outs at that moment, so everybody wants him to get the hell out of there. And he's like, "No, this is this. It's not for Buffy. It's for Joyce because they they've had moments." Yes, I mean, one of one of the best early moments is when she invites him in, and he's in the house, and they're just chatting when uh-huh. he's yeah. still definitely evil and and something to be concerned about. But he's always bonded with her, so that was that was a really sweet moment. Okay, anything we have not covered about season five of Buffy. Um, if you've got something you want to say now is the time. It's good to know that uh, Willow's uh, knowledge of computers has turned her into a robot surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to, there's a moment where I think Rosander says, oh, right, science. She's good at science. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Right. It's a natural progression, you know, good with computers, teaching the computer class in high school. Everything else is magic and monsters, right? But it's like, oh, right, science, right? It's... It's funny, like a robot. Sure, there's a robot. Lifelike robot. Sounds fine. It's fine. All right, well, onward to season six. On on to UPN mm. and season six. The darker, more controversial season, which I haven't revisited oh since uh, it was on. So that'll be interesting. And there's a musical episode in it. So that'll be fun. Yeah. But uh, for now... <laughs> This is uh, this is us signing off for Buffy season five. I'd like to thank my panelists for joining me in this walk down uh, Main Street Sunnydale. I guess watch out for the sinkhole that the lightning and the dragon is flying. Is that dragon still out there? I don't know. Maybe. I was excited to see that they have apparently have an in and out in Sunnydale. So if you want to know why people live on uh, the Hellmouth, it's proximity to double doubles. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. A lot of demons in there. There's a scene where there's definite in and out stuff on the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks to my panelist, Aline Sims. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking about Buffy.
Jean McDonald, thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to season six. I will try not to binge it tonight because <laughs> I want to see what happens mm. next. I already started. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Maddie Cox, thank you. Thanks. This was fun. Quinn Rose, thank you. I'm not looking that much forward to season six, but thanks so much for having mm. me. <laughs> and, Spoilers. And and Steve Lutz, <laughs> you know, thanks, I guess. Ah, it's a pleasure being here, Jason, and a joyous Gurnathar's ascendance to you. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. 